Amen. Amen. Let's just spend a minute and just pray. And the prayer that you want to pray is, Father, as your word comes, speak to me. You want to say, Father, as your word comes, speak to me. Holy Spirit, speak that word that I need to hear. Not necessarily the word that I want to hear, but the word that I need to hear. Let your word find good ground in me this morning. Let it change me. Let it transform me. Just spend a minute and just say, Father, speak to me. Help me not to be distracted. Help me to be here, to be present. Help me to hear your word. Help me to have a spiritual aha moment. Let me see what you want me to see today and let it change me. Let it change me. Let it transform me. Let me not leave the way that I came. Father, help me. A word that I would run with throughout 2022 and beyond. Father, speak to me yourself. Holy Spirit, speak to me. Teach me. Teach me. Holy Spirit, we commit this hour into your hands as we go into your word. You're our teacher. You're our guide. We say, teach us. We pray that the word from the very heart of God for each of us today that we would receive in the name of Jesus. Our Father, we're so grateful for the love that you have for us, the love that you have for us as individuals, as families. And we just come once again to say, Father, we are grateful and we say thank you. Father, we say thank you for Oman Bra Ehi, whose baby was born yesterday. We say thank you for safe delivery. Father, we are grateful. We are grateful. As a church family, we say thank you. Blessings that we see, blessings that we don't see, Father, we say thank you. Protection day in, day out, Father, we say thank you. The word of God says, if it had not been for the Lord on our side. Church, I want you to lift up your voice and say, Father, we are grateful that you are on our side. We're grateful that the sun has not smite us by day nor the moon by night. Father, we are grateful that when a thousand fall at our side, ten thousand at our right, it doesn't come near us. Father, this morning, we just want to say thank you. We want to say that we are grateful. We want to say that we are grateful. Somebody wants to lift up their voice and say, Father, we are grateful that your word is not scarce in my life, that your word is not scarce in our midst. Father, we are grateful. Father, we are grateful. And as a family, we just say thank you. We say thank you. Holy Spirit, have your way. Have your way. For in Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. So good morning, church. It's still morning. Um, I want you to smile with your eyes at the person next to you. They can't see your your smile with your face because your mask are on, but smile at them. It's a good morning. So we thank God for life. We thank God for his faithfulness. It's amazing that we're already on the 23rd day of January. It's just amazing. It feels like yesterday we're saying Happy New Year, but God continues to keep us. God continues to be with us, and we're grateful. The very first Sunday, I'm not going to quiz you, but we're going to do a recap on what we've done so far. I wish I had time to quiz you, but I wouldn't today. So the very first Sunday, um, we were told that in this year, 2022, God wants us to break through and defy the odds. The following Sunday, we're reminded that we need to trust in God this year and not be presumptuous in our relationship with God. Anybody remember that? That's very worrying. Anybody remember that? <laughs> yes, okay. So you can always revisit these messages in your notepads, the writings that you do, it's 
great idea to write because you wouldn't remember everything. It's good to go back to the things. And then, of course, there's the podcast and the website with the messages as well. And then last Sunday, we were told that 2022, this year, is a peculiar year. And we were told that whatever you're doing that does not please God, you must stop it. We're told that there's a need to be sensitive to God and the times and the seasons that we're in. And by God's grace, we're going to be continuing from there today. Our main text is taken from John chapter 8, John chapter 8, verses 1 to 11. John chapter 8, verses 1 to 11. So it's a passage that some of us would be familiar with. And what was happening here was Jesus had gone to the temple. And the Bible says that a crowd had come around him to listen to him. So Jesus was there and Jesus was teaching this crowd. And imagine for a minute that you were there. And imagine that not only were you there, that you're one of the privileged few that you were, you had front row seats, you're right in front of Jesus. Of course, that's where we want to be, right? But because there was such a large crowd, if you looked back, you probably couldn't see what was happening behind the crowd, right? But after a while, Jesus is teaching, you're listening, everybody's listening, but there's some commotion happening at the back, right? And you don't know what's happening, you're trying to see. But then what do we see happening? We see these men and they're dragging a woman forward, right? They're dragging this woman forward. Jesus is teaching. They interrupt his teaching. In the middle of the teaching, they drag her forward. And the Bible says that they took her right to the front of the crowd. They didn't leave her somewhere in the middle. They drag her all the way through. And I think about that woman, and I want you to think about that woman. In that moment, what was she feeling as they dragged her through this large crowd, bring her right in front of the crowd, in front of Jesus? And I think she was probably feeling shame. Because these men, they didn't take her to Jesus in a quiet hour when maybe it was just Jesus, Peter, and James. No, they wanted maximum impact. So Jesus is teaching this crowd. They disrupt the teaching. They drag her through the crowd right to the front, right? So she's probably feeling shame. She's probably feeling shame. All eyes are on her, and everybody is thinking, what's going on? The fact that they're dragging her, she must have done something wrong. Probably feeling shame. What else could she be feeling? Maybe regret, probably fear, because she would know what the law says. A woman caught in adultery, the law said, stone them to death. So I can imagine that she was feeling fear. I can imagine that her heart was beaten, that she thought, you know, this was the end. Now, these men, they didn't care about her. These men, when they looked at her, they didn't see a woman that could be their daughter, their sister, their wife. When they looked at her, they saw sinner woman caught in the very act of adultery, and they were ready to execute the judgment of stoning her. We know this because they drag her through the crowd, no compassion. And we know this as well because it's not like they were so keen on enforcing the law and they were keen on righteousness. No. Why were they doing all this? The Bible says because they wanted to test Jesus. They wanted to find something to trap and trip him up with. So they get before Jesus. She's now in front of the crowd. And in John 8, verse 6, John 8, verse 6, before then, John 8, verses 4 and 5, they say to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? What do you say? In verse 6, it says they were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and he wrote in the dust with his finger. So they've brought her, they want to trap Jesus into saying something against the law of Moses in front of this large crowd so that they could use that to trap him and trip him up. Now, that woman, we've said she was probably feeling shame, probably feeling fear, but she's probably also feeling regrets. 
I can imagine regrets for every decision that has brought her to this point in her life. And there she is in front of Jesus, in front of the crowd, probably wanting to be anywhere else but there. And if we think about our lives, when we fall short, when we do things that are not pleasing to God, we said this year, those things that we do that are not pleasing to God, we must stop them. But when we're in that space, what happens to us? We want to retreat from God, right? We want to move away from God. But we need to remember that in that moment, even though we might feel unworthy, even though we might feel shame, we might feel some of the things this woman was feeling, where we need to be is with God. We need to run back to God with penitent hearts. So let's bear that in mind always. But they've dragged her before the crowd. If her sin was secret, if it was just her and the person that she was committing adultery with that knew about it, her sin is not secret anymore. It's now out there in the open. And she's probably thinking that this is the worst day of her life. She's probably thinking in a few minutes time, they're going to start to throw the stones and she'll be dead. But what she didn't realize, right? And what those men who dragged her out didn't realize is that actually every step that they dragged her, as she got closer and closer to Jesus, you know what she was getting closer to? She was getting closer to her moment of breakthrough. She was getting closer to the moment where she would be broken from the sins that easily beset her, that easily tripped her up. She was getting, she was getting closer to coming to a life of breakthrough from the shame and the regrets and all these things that had tied her down. These men didn't know that. And I want to say to somebody, you know, the, what happened here was that the thing that these men, for this woman, they meant for evil. God was about to turn it around, turn it around for her good. And you might be in a space where it looks like people are, are, are planning all sorts and they're setting you up and it looks like it's going to be some mighty evil. I want to encourage you today. God is in the business of turning around things that people are orchestrating for evil, for good. And your case would not be an exception in Jesus' mighty name. So they get her to Jesus. They want to test him. Why do they want to test him? The law of Moses said the woman was to be stoned to death. Why didn't they just execute judgment and not bring her to Jesus? Because they had observed Jesus firsthand. They had seen how he showed compassion, love, mercy. They had seen how he was so unlike them to the people that they led. And they felt if there's one way to trip him up, this could be it. Remember the story of Daniel. When they wanted to trip Daniel up, they looked at everything about Daniel. And this guy, he wasn't dishonest. He wasn't frauding, um, defrauding the government. He wasn't embezzling money. How can we trip up Daniel? It has to do with something with his God. So it's a very similar circumstance. So they come to Jesus and Jesus stoops down and he's writing in the dust with his finger. Verse seven, John eight, verse seven. It says, they kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And then Jesus says to her, neither do I go and sin no more go and sin no more the interesting thing about the criteria that Jesus gave where he said the one who has never sinned should throw the first stone you know there was somebody there who could throw the first stone based on that criteria Jesus himself was sinless but what does Jesus do Jesus he looks at her and unlike those men who see the sin who see the sinner Jesus looks at her and Jesus sees her Jesus sees her and Jesus embraces her with compassion, with love, with mercy. 
And he says, neither do I. But he doesn't stop there. He could have just said, neither do I. And that's the end of it. He doesn't stop there. He says, go and sin no more. Why did Jesus say go and sin no more to her? Now, Jesus, if it wasn't important, he wouldn't have said it to her. Some people say grace covers everything. It doesn't matter how I live, what I live, grace would cover it. Jesus has done it all on the cross. But he said, go and sin no more because it was important. She's been set free. She's come to her moment of breakthrough. Things are never supposed to be the same again in a positive way for her. But for her to remain in that space, to remain in that breakthrough, to remain in that freedom, she had to go and sin no more. She had to go and sin no more. If you flip back a few chapters in John and you come to John chapter five, John chapter five, in John chapter five, we have the story of the man who had been paralyzed for 38 years, lying by the pool of Bethsaida, waiting for the steering so he could jump in or get in somehow and be healed. But for 38 years, it wasn't happening. So he had given up hope he was just there. And then Jesus comes along one day and Jesus says to him, do you want to be made whole? And he starts to tell Jesus all the stories. But after Jesus had healed, has healed him in John 5.14, after he's received his healing, John 5.14, Jesus says to him, How, now you are well, John 5.14, now you are well, so stop sinning or something even worse may happen to you. And I read that and I think what's worse than being paralyzed, lying by the side of a pool for 38 years. But Jesus says, You've received your freedom. You've embraced my love, my compassion. But if you do not go and stop sinning, something even worse may happen to you. Like that woman in John 8, he had to go and sin no more. 2 Peter 2, 20 to 21. 2 Peter 2, 20 to 21. Because some people might say, well, all these stories are before Jesus died. You know, after Jesus died, everything changed. But Peter is talking to the church after Jesus died in 2 Peter 2, 20 to 21. And he says, and when people escape from the wickedness of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and then get tangled up and enslaved by sin again, they are worse off than before. It would be better if they had never known the way to righteousness than to know it and then reject the command they were given to live a holy life. That is a command to us. Repeat with me. What is the command? Live a holy life. Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. So brethren, in 2022, we need to hear God's word. We need to embrace his love. We need to bask in his presence. We need to worship him. But we mustn't forget with all that, we must go and sin no more. We must live a holy life. God helping us. Matthew 7, I've mentioned Matthew 7 so many times, but it's because for me, Matthew 7 is one of the deepest chapters personally for me in the Bible. In Matthew 7, Jesus is talking and in verses 13 to 14, Matthew 7, 13 to 14, that's where he starts to talk about how the narrow way that leads to life is a difficult way. Few find it. But the broad way that leads to destruction, very broad, very easy. There are many on it. And there are people who think they're on the narrow way, but they're actually on the broad way, right? And in that same Matthew 7, he gives us an example of these kinds of people. So Matthew 7, verse 21. Matthew 7, verse 21. It says, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many would say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and we cast out demons in your name and we perform many miracles in your name. He said, but I would reply, 
I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. I never knew you. Get away from me, you workers of iniquity. So these folks, they did all these amazing things in God's name. And yet, when he comes to them, they think they're on the narrow way. But he says, I never knew you. And the question that we want to ask ourselves today is, how is this possible? Because we must make sure that we're on the narrow way and not on the broad thinking we're on the narrow way. How is it possible to cast out demons in God's name and those demons they go? To prophesy in his name, to perform many miracles, to preach amazing messages and lives are transformed and people come to salvation, to lead worship and amazing things are happening in the auditorium, to go out there, do evangelism and get amazing outcomes, to do all these things. And yet at the end of it, God says, I never knew you. How is it possible? And we see that at the end of what Jesus said when he said, I never knew you. He said, get away from me. Get away from me. Who? Workers of iniquity. If we're coming to church, we're hearing the words, we're going, we're doing everything, but we're not going and sinning no more. We're in danger of hearing, get away from me, workers of iniquity. And I pray that that will not be any of our portions in Jesus' name. But what does that mean? That means that in 2022, we cannot afford to keep doing those things that are displeasing to God. We cannot afford to keep making excuses and not living holy lives. In 2022, we must cooperate with the grace of God. You don't need to pray for that grace. You already have that grace. Now, what you need to do is cooperate with that grace that God has placed upon your life to go and sin no more. And it shows the importance. Two Bible studies ago, we're talking about being reflective. And this really shows us the importance of being reflective, of examining ourselves. The Bible says that if we examine ourselves, we will not be judged. We need to be reflective. We need to look at what's going on in my life, right? And when you do that, don't do it based on your gifts. We prophesied in your name. We did many miracles in your name. We casted out demons in your name. We sang and angels descended in the auditorium. Don't do it. Don't examine yourself based on your gifts. The Bible says by their fruits, you would know them. If these guys had taken time out, not based on their gifts, we prophesied, we casted out demons' gifts. If they had looked at the fruit, what is the fruit in my life? They would have seen iniquity and maybe they could have changed. So examine your life, be reflective, but don't do it based on gifts. Do it based on the fruits. What are the fruits that are coming out of your life? Is it sin? What are the fruits that are coming out of my life? Is it pride? What are the fruits? Is it love? Is it joy? Is it peace? What are the fruits? We need to be reflective. We need to be reflective. And it's important as well that you don't go about basing your assessment of people on gifts. This analogy might help you. It helped me a lot. I heard it a few years ago. Now, fruits, what it is with fruits is that a fruit is a reflection of the state of the tree. So a tree that is well-nourished, connected to the vine Jesus, that tree would give out good fruits, right? Now, if the fruit that a tree is given out are not good fruits, for instance, if it's given out sin, then you want to check your life. The Bible says, your word have I hid in my heart that I may not sin against you. If I keep on sinning against God, am I word deficient in some way? Okay. Now gifts, if you think about a Christmas tree, so we had that Christmas, that lovely Christmas tree for a while. So think about a Christmas tree, right? But a Christmas tree that's not artificial, a real Christmas tree. And think about the beautiful ornaments that we place on it. Now those ornaments, are they a reflection of the state of that tree? No, that tree can be shriveled up, dying, and we can place beautiful ornaments on it. And you look at the ornaments and you think, oh, this tree must be amazing. No, it's not. It's half dead. So examine your life. Be reflective based on your fruits, based on your fruits. And one of the first steps to doing this is a change of mindset. And I want to encourage us that in 2022, let's go forward with a change of mindset. What do I mean? 
sometimes we say, you know what? I'm only human. God understands. I'm only human. So, you know, I, I got to keep messing up from time to time. I'm only human. But who told you that? Is that what God says about you when you look in your Bible, when you look in a scripture? Does it say you're only human? So, you know, woman, go and not sin no more, but go and sin less frequently. How's that? Is that what scripture says? No. Okay. So we, we need to be careful. We need to look at what does God actually say? I believe that that thing of, look, I'm only human. I'm just going to mess up from time to time. Sometimes it's, I believe it's a con of the devil because you know what you believe is what you're going to run with, right? So we need to change our mindsets. I encourage you, let's go back into scripture and look at what does God actually say? Some examples, 2 Peter 1, 3. 2 Peter 1.3, what does God say about you? What does he say about me? 2 Peter 1.3 says, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. Pause and think about that. He didn't say God has given you some things. He says everything that you need to live a godly life, every single thing that I need to live a godly life, God has given to me. It says we have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself, by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. First John 3, first John 3, verse 9. First John 3, verse 9 says, those who have been born into God's family, they do not make a practice of sinning. Why not? Because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they are children of God. Where in this verse does it say I'm only human? It says that because we're children of God, because we're born into his family, it's, it's a factual statement. It says they do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. The King James and the New King James says that because the seed of God is in me, I cannot sin. Let us believe God. Let us take him at his word. If it wasn't possible, Jesus would not look at that woman and say, go and sin no more. But the grace to do it, the grace to live a holy life, everything that we need, God has given to us. Another very popular one, 2 Corinthians 5.17. 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a what? Oh, let's say like we believe it. He's a? Fantastic. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. New. You're not just human. You're not just human. You're a carrier of the almighty God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. You're not just human. The Holy Spirit resides in you. The Bible says that your body is the temple of God. And the Holy Spirit is not just residing in you for fun. The Bible says he's your teacher. He's your guide. He wants to direct you. When you're about to mess up, the Holy Spirit wants to say, for me, stop. That's not for you. If only we would yield to him. If only we would be, obey him. We're not just human. We're not just human. So in 2022, let's receive God's word. Let's embrace his love, but let's be changed. Let's be transformed. Let's go and sin no more. And God would help us in Jesus' name. So what are the things that can help us to live in this reality? And we're just going to look very quickly at three things that can help us to live in this reality. This list is by no means exhaustive, but we're just going to look at three things. And the first thing is that we need to see. We need to see. What does that mean? So we need to see, and we need to see in three dimensions. First, we need to see ourselves and be real and honest with ourselves. And when I say ourselves, I don't mean it in the collective. I mean the individual. I, I need to see. Deola needs to see. Deola, I need to see myself. So we need to see. We need to be honest with ourselves. In what areas am I yet to go and sin no more? Some sins are very obvious. Like that woman caught in adultery, they caught her in the act. 
and I know it's a message for another day, but where was her partner in crime? People don't commit adultery by themselves, you know? So you can see where the hearts of those men's men were, right? But we'll leave that message for another day. I see the ladies were feeling it. <laughs> but we need to see. So we need to see ourselves and be honest with ourselves. You know, some people lie to themselves. We need to get out of that space and we need to see this is, this is who I am. What are the things that I'm doing that are displeasing to God? Some sins, very obvious, woman caught in adultery. Some sins are not obvious. You might not be committing adultery. You might not be fornicating. Are you full of pride? Are you full of pride? Are you full of unforgiveness? Are you full of bitterness? You know, when somebody does something to you, how that malice would be hot. Is that you? The Bible says go and sin no more. And because these sins are not so obvious, it doesn't make them any less displeasing to God. God would help us in Jesus' name. 1 Peter 5.24 says, remember the sins of some people. 1 Peter 5.24. Remember the sins of some people are obvious, like that woman, leading them to certain judgment. But there are others whose sins will not be revealed until later. So whatever category you might fall in, might be both, it might be one or the other, sin is sin, and it's displeasing to God. And God is saying to us, we need to go and sin no more. We need to go and sin no more. Your sin might be that you love money. You're consumed with it. In your waking hours, in your sleeping hours, it's all about investments and how you're going to make more money. And you're not rich towards God. There's a guy in the Bible that was like that. You know the word that was used to describe that guy, anybody? Fool. If that is you, you need to get out of that category in 2022. Maybe your heart is full of lust. You would never dream of adultery, fornication. I was like, ah, those are big sins. Ah, God forbid. But yet you look at a woman and you undress her. You look at a man and you undress him and it's in your heart. And the Bible says that if you do it in your heart, it's as good as having done it because God looks at the heart. So let's be real of ourselves. What's going on on the inside of me? For somebody else, it might be disobedience to God. God is telling you to do some things. And you're like, God, ah, I will do it. So it's not like I'm not going to do it, but I'm going to do it in my own time, in my own way. Disobedience. For somebody else, it might be that you know some good that you're supposed to be doing, but you refuse to do it. You know what the Bible calls that? Sin. It says that to him that knows to do good, but doesn't do it, it's sin. So whatever it is, we need to examine ourselves, be reflective, be reflective and see ourselves. The second dimension of seeing is that we need to let others help us. There's some things that are blind spots that you cannot see about yourself, but others can see. It's those that are close to you. And some people, the way they have reacted in the past or the way they just come across, everybody can see that this person is heading for a cliff and they're about to fall and nobody says anything. And that's dangerous. Sometimes nobody says anything because the last time they said something for four months, the sister did not talk to them again. So this time around, they're like, God help her. I'm not going to say Jack. So we need to be careful. And if that's how you've been, Go back to those people and say, I'm a new creature. You can tell me, <laughs> right? I say to people that if you think I'm messing up doing the wrong thing, please tell me. And some people say, oh, I want to sort myself out before I go telling people, don't sort yourself out. Please just tell me, right? But we need to be like that. In Proverbs 29, verse 1, Proverbs 29, verse 1, it says, whoever stubbornly refuses to accept criticism would suddenly be destroyed beyond recovery. A version says that the person will be destroyed without remedy. You know what that means? There's no recovery. There's no fixing it. The destruction is total. That will not be our portion in Jesus' name. The third dimension of sin, and it's really the most important, is we need to ask the Holy Ghost to show us. There's some things that others cannot see. There's some things that you might not see about yourself, but God sees all. God knows all. The church in Laodicea in Revelations 3.17 Revelations 3.17, that church in Laodicea, the way they saw themselves and the way they were, you just wonder, how is this possible? Revelations 3.17 says, you say I'm rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize. So these guys said, I'm rich. 
I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. But when God was looking at them, what did God say? He said, you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I seen. I don't even think those are opposites. If there's anything bigger than opposites, that's what it was. And anybody else who was looking at that church probably thought, ah, this church, they're made, they're solid. But God, God who sees all things, knows all things, God who sees what's in the deepest, deepest part of our hearts, that was a testimony. So you want to ask the Holy Spirit to help you to see. And how does God do that? It might be in different ways, in different ways. For somebody, it might be through your reactions to things. So maybe somebody has been lifted. God is doing amazing things in this person's life. Everybody's rejoicing with them. Maybe even outwardly, you're rejoicing with them too. But inside you, there's a, a negative feeling that you can't quite define. And sometimes, you know, that happens and you just carry on and you just, you know, you don't bother about it. No, this year, be reflective, examining what's going on inside me. Take it to God and say, God, help me with this thing. Or somebody talks to you, you know, who you, who, you know, everybody says, oh, you're so humble, so humble. Somebody says something to you. And the first thing that comes up on the inside of you is how dare you? Who do you think you're talking to? But on the outside, you're looking so humble, you know. But you know, don't just carry on with life and say it's one of those things. Stop, be reflective, examine what's going on on the inside of me. Look at pride. The Bible says God resists. He opposes the proud. If God is opposing a person, can that person prosper? You know, so, so these little things that are not so obvious, we need to be careful of them. Bitterness towards others. We talked about unforgiveness in Sunday school today. Selfishness, self-centeredness. Even just be reflective and examine your typical average prayer. How does it look? That might tell you something about yourself. But don't just brush it off. Examine it and say, God, help me. God, help me. God, help me. Ask the Holy Spirit for counsel on how to handle the things that you start to see and obey his instructions. Know that when you ask the Holy Spirit for counsel, he would counsel you. He's our counselor. He's our teacher. But know that it might be hard what he tells you to do. But I want you to know this. You don't need to pray for the grace to do what he's asked you to do. If he asks you to do something, he has given you the grace to do it. You just need to cooperate with that grace and do it, no matter how hard. A guy comes to Jesus, a young rich man, and he says to Jesus, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus starts to tell him the things he needs to do. And he says, since I was a youth, since children's church, I've been doing all that. And then Jesus goes to the heart of the issue that he has. And the issue that he has, he has a, a money issue, a love of money issue. And Jesus says, you know what, sell everything that you have and go and give it to the poor. And for him, it was too hard. And he didn't do it. Whatever the Holy Spirit tells you to do, do it. Do it. That's how we go and sin no more. So the second thing that would help us really quickly is that we need to expose that sin to the light. We need to expose that sin to the light. So the Holy Spirit is going to start to show us things. There's some things that are obvious that we know as we're sitting here, we know. And there's some things that are not so obvious that the Holy Spirit would start to show us. But we need to expose it to the light. Why? Sin loves darkness and it flourishes in darkness, right? But we need to expose it to the light. What the enemy wants you to do is to keep it hidden, to cover your sin. But the Bible says in Proverbs 28, 13, Proverbs 28, 13, it says, he who covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them would have mercy. John 3, 19 to 20, John 3, 19 to 20 says, this is the judgment that the light has come into the world 
And men loved the darkness rather than the light. Why? For their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But we're not of those people, so we need to expose it to the light. The woman in John 8, she couldn't be free. She couldn't have her breakthrough until there was an exposure. And that's why that was the best day of her life so far. Even though it started off like the worst day of her life, because that sin was exposed and she could come to a place of healing. So what could that look like practically, exposing it to the light? Again, it can look like different things and you wanna ask the Holy Spirit to lead you. But one way that it can look like James tells us about, James 5 verse 16, James 5 verse 16. It says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Why would God ask us to confess our sins to each other, to confess our faults to each other? Why does anybody need to know my business? Why does anybody need to know your business? Why can't we just go straight to God? Nobody has to know and be done with it. And again, it comes back to this thing of exposure. It needs to be exposed to the light, but it doesn't stop there. It says pray for each other. Because when you pray for each other, when the righteous prays, amazing things happen. Amazing things happen. And sometimes we underestimate the power of prayer. And we think, you know what, it's just prayer. But in 2022, let's have a different mindset. What do you believe in? You know, if you don't believe in something, if you don't honor something, if you don't put value on a thing, it might not work for you. It might not work for you. With the word of God as well, some, um, the word of God sometimes, you know, we're told that we shouldn't be presumptuous. Don't be presumptuous with God's word and with prayer. So we think the word is too theological, it's too practical, it's not practical enough, um, it's too spiritual and so on. And we're a bit presumptuous. And that's why you can have two people sit in the same um, service. One of them is bored out of his mind. He's so bored. He's just like, please, when is the service ending? And the other one will hear a word from God. Their lives will be transformed. Somebody was saying how they were, they, they were attending a fellowship, right? And much, not much was happening in their life spiritually and all that. And it was like... I'm just in this place. Maybe it's a bit of a dry place. And then people started to give testimonies of the amazing things that happened as they heard the word. That, and the person went to God like, what's wrong with me? You know, the same word, parable of the soul, same word, but different outcomes. This year, be determined that you're going to be one of those, that you're going to be changed. You're going to be transformed in Jesus' mighty name. So we need to expose us into light. And, and I, I, I thought of an example that we could use. So for instance, somebody who's struggling with pornography, right? And they, maybe they've been praying about it. They've been wanting a breakthrough in that area, but they've kept it secret. That person needs to expose it to light. The issue of pornography, I was looking at some stats um, and the stats say, because a lot of research has been done in this area, because it's an issue out there, because the world is, you know, is very um, conducive, but even in Christendom, it's a big issue. Some stats on pornography, 68% um, of church going men and over 50% of pastors view porn on a regular basis. Young Christian adults, 18 to 24 years old, 70, 76% of them actively search for porn. Only 13% of self-identified Christian women say they never watch porn, 13%. 87% of Christian women have watched porn. And the stats for the US and the UK, very similar. So that their problems, their problems, and there's so many problems. We're not talking about pornography today, but there's so many issues linked to it. Part of it is that they say that a, a married person that watches pornography is 300 times more likely to go on to have an affair. 
so many issues, so many issues. And some of us might be sitting there thinking this is a vast exaggeration. You know, how can there be such an, an issue in the church? And some of us might be thinking, you know what, this must be a Caucasian Christian problem. Definitely not the black church or those of African descent. I'll tell you um, um, something that happened a few years ago. So I was invited to minister in a conference. And after the ministration, we had a Q&A, a panel Q&A um, with some other ministers, myself. And somebody asked a question about pornography. And the first minister to answer said, actually, there's nothing wrong with it, you know, that she and her husband, they regularly watch it together. They have pastor friends that watch it together as well. But the only thing is that you have to make sure that you use a separate laptop so your children don't mistakenly you know, get exposed to it. Now that was that, that person's understanding. And then of course we started to talk scripture and try to correct that. But that is the understanding that that person had. And that's the problem. So there's some issues that we don't talk about, but because we don't talk about it, it doesn't mean that it's not an issue. And these things, God is saying, expose them to the light. God is saying, check your life, check your life, because you cannot in 2022 afford to keep doing those things that are displeasing to God and God would help us. So take expose it prayer is powerful someone praying for you standing alongside you and there are examples so many examples of things that you can do additionally that help in the area of pornography there's something called covenant eyes and somebody who's trying to um, stop stop um, um, pornography that addiction they sign up to covenant eyes and you know what this thing does it takes accountability to another level so what they do is that you choose somebody you choose somebody yourself somebody that you trust somebody who's going to be your accountability partner, and they set up all your devices so that that person will be getting reports, regular reports on what you are watching, what you are doing, categorized. Now, is that going to help you? Or is that going to help you? <laughs> you know, knowing that, you know, Deola is going to be getting all these reports instantly helps you. But Deola is also praying with you. She's also walking alongside with you at the same time. God would help us. It's not easy, but we don't want to be among those that God says at the end of time, I sang in the choir, I ministered, I preached, I did this and this and that. And he says, get away from me. I never knew you work of iniquity. That will not be our portion in Jesus name. But we don't just say the amen. We go and do what we need to do. He said, go and sin no more. The final thing, the final thing that we're going to look at that would help us is that you need to find your company. You need to find your company. What does it mean to find your company? An example, Daniel, you know, we were looking at Daniel in Bible study, I believe. Daniel had his company, he had his friends. And when things got tough, let's take one example. The king says he's gonna kill all of the wise men because they couldn't tell him and give him the interpretation, including Daniel and his friends. And Daniel hears about it, what does he do? He goes to his company. Together they're strong, together they pray together, they approach God. Acts for another example, Acts chapter four, the, the disciples have faced persecution and all that. But after they're released, what do they do? They go to their company, they go to the com their company. The question is, who's your company? Have you found your company? Finding your company can be a game changer. You wanna go and sin no more, you wanna be strong, you wanna grow this year. Finding your company is key, finding your company is key. And it has to be your company, not just any company. There's some company that would kill a destiny. That's not the kind of company that you want to get into. I'll give an example, true life story, family I know very well. Close-knit, tight family, loving God as best as they can. That family, they were an example to younger people and so on. And they were doing all right, doing all right. Husband, loving wife, children and all that. And then unfortunately, the wife makes one friend, one single friend. 
and things change. Funny things that didn't used to happen, that didn't used to go on in their family started to creep in. At the end of the day, that family was broken, divorced, messed up. One friend, that was not her company. And I remember when she initially met that person, she actually didn't like her, but she got past that. Maybe God was saying something to her right at the start. Find your company, find your company. I think I've given this example before as well that a friend told me of how he was in a space where he was about to be unfaithful to his wife. So he was in a very bad place, wanted to do it, was about to be unfaithful to his wife. But God gave him a way of escape. The Bible says of every temptation, there'll be a way of escape. It's just that sometimes we don't take it, but the way is there. But this guy took it. What was his way of escape? In that minute when he's about to make this disastrous decision, he calls his company, a friend of his, and he says, this is where I'm at. This is what I'm about to do. And the friend says, stay on the phone with me. Don't get off the phone. The friend says, where are your car keys? Get into your car. Keep talking to me. The friend says, head home. Keep talking to me. Don't get off the phone. Meanwhile, the friend gets into his car, heads for his house. The friend gets there. They pray together. They study together. And the friend walks that journey with him. And he's victorious. Go and sin no more. What would help you? Find your company find your company. What, what could be your company? Your company could be a particular person in a particular season. Your company could be different things in different areas of your life. In career, it might be one set of people. In your study life, it might be that you, you join a study group and that helps you to fire up your study life. It might be that you have a particular friend that you can call each other at random times and be sharing the scriptures that you're reading. It might be that you have a prayer partner. It might be that your spouse is your prayer partner. Whatever it is, find your company. Find your company. Find your company. So this year, let's be determined that by God's grace, we're going to take him at his word. By God's grace, we're going to be changed. We're going to be transformed. By God's grace, we're going to go and sin no more in Jesus' mighty name. We're going to spend um, a few minutes in prayer. And I want you to pray for yourself. Take whatever posture works for you. It might be that you want to sit, you want to stand, you want to kneel. It doesn't matter as long as you're praying. So I want to encourage you to pray, to pray. We've heard God's word. God has spoken to us. God might have spoken different things to different people. I'm not going to ask, I'm not going to tell you what to pray to your father. He's spoken his words to you. Now I want you to pray your words to him, but make sure that you're praying. Make sure that you're praying. Make sure that you're praying. So lift up your voice and pray. It's an important, important moment. Lift up your voice and pray. Lift up your voice and pray. I will never be the same again. I will never return. I've closed the door. I will walk the path. I'll run the race. And I will never be the same again. Make sure you're praying. I will never be the same again. I would never return. I'll walk the path you've set before me. I would run the race, Lord. I'll run the race and I will never be the same again. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. 
from the bottom of my heart to the depths of my soul yes lord yes lord yes to your will yes lord from the bottom of my heart to the depths of my soul yes lord there's something really powerful about a prayer of agreement and for some of us we might feel that strong need to have somebody agree with us in prayer and if that's you i want to encourage you that after the service that you grab hold of a minister and say I need you to agree with me in prayer so the ministers will be in the front you want somebody to agree with you in prayer please grab hold of them some people might want to, someone to agree with them in prayer that some chains would be broken somebody might want to, to someone to agree with them in prayer for a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit somebody might have never been baptized in the Holy Spirit and you need that baptism of the Holy Spirit somebody might want someone to agree with them in prayer that they would start to see like never before somebody might want agreement in prayer that they would start to do God's will like never before somebody might want agreement in prayer that in 2022 and going forward that they will be changed they will be transformed they would go and sin no more please it's important if you're that person that people please just grab hold of a minister after service and ask them to agree with you in prayer father we thank you for your word that has come to us today father we pray that you help us to cooperate with your grace upon us the grace that you have placed upon us when you said to us go and live a holy life the grace that you have given to us when you said everything that you need to live this godly life i have given to you father help us to be a people that indeed we go and we sin no more and father above all i pray that throughout our lives throughout our lives lord that we would be a people that are pleasing unto you that those things that we we, we we were doing in the past that we've been doing that are not pleasing unto you those addictions those habits those sins that so easily beset father that there would be a healing in the name of jesus you said that when we confess our sins to each other and we pray for each other that the the the, the prayer of the righteous you said that it releases tremendous power brings about wonderful results and then you said after that you said then we would be healed the healing might be physical it might be emotional it might be mental but healing would come father i pray that healing would come to us in the name of jesus help us lord help us to take the steps that we need to take father we give you praise we give you praise we give you praise for in jesus mighty name we have prayed amen amen and amen god bless you